Good morning, everyone. I only found out I was going to be here on Wednesday. So I only entered the country on Monday and got a phone call on Wednesday. And so here I am this morning today. All right. If you see me yawning either before or after the service, don't be insulted. I'm getting over jet lag. It's still a work in progress. All right. Um, But yeah, if you could turn to Colossians for me, if you're not already there, where it was read earlier on. We're looking at Colossians 1 again, verses 15 to 18. And let's just uh, pray together again at this time uh, before we read our text. Let's pray. Father, once again, we want to thank you so much for bringing us all together this morning to worship you and to praise you. And Father, as we read your word together, Lord, may we be blessed by it. Lord, may you give us wisdom. May your spirit guide us through it. That you would speak truth to us, Lord. That you would convict us, but also encourage us in our faiths. Father, may Christ be glorified above all things this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So us Scots are known to speak quite fast, so I'm going to try and slow down because I'm still getting acclimatized. So if you don't understand a few things, just roll with it, but I'll try and speak as slow as possible. Because in my head, it sounds like I'm talking like this, but to you guys, it's normal. So please bear with me. But yeah, so I I chose this text. It's it's a very well-known text, and actually it's a text that probably could be preached about one million different ways. Um, But I thought it was just a great... Uh, as we know, it's, it's a very Christ-centered text, and I wanted just to take uh, an overview of this text and just to show Christ's preeminence, his supremacy in the different areas that are highlighted. So just to give you a bit of background, if you don't know, so the, the book of Colossians, uh, Paul wrote to the Colossian church. He had never actually visited there. Um, he found out about the church through Epaphras, who was in prison with him at one point. And so in Colossae, what had happened is some really false teaching had started to to creep up in Colossae. And it was like an early form of Gnosticism. If you don't know what that is, it's really just like this thought of a train of thought of knowledge, of like spiritual knowledge, but not, not knowledge of God. And so there was people there who were saying that um, the Old Testament law and the ceremonies still had to be um, uh, adhered to. Um, there were some uh, people who thought there was like it was like a philosoph- philosophical thought, and you know, kind of philosophers and things like that, and they were trying to take hold of the church as well. Um, there was people who were worshiping angels, and so there was a false view of what angels were. Uh, and so people were worshipping them. Um, it was also a very exclusive, or for those who were only really spiritual, could you enter the kingdom of God kind of people. And so this was a kind of heresy that came in, and some of them even denied uh, that Christ was God. So this was what Paul, when he was writing to the Colossians, the whole book of Colossians is about that. And so just to give you that bit of background, and so we come to this well-known text, and Paul just wants to show them who Jesus really is, that he is God. And he shows his, 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 his greatness in this text. Uh, and what we're going to see is how he is preeminent in all these things. Preeminent is the key word uh, in this text this morning. And I think what we forget sometimes, we, we know that Jesus came to earth. We know that he died for our sins. But what we sometimes forget is how big he is, yes, He became human and he came to earth and he died 
and was resurrected, and that is that is of our utmost importance. But we sometimes forget that it's not just his earthly ministry that he did. He 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 is bigger than just that Jesus that came to the earth. He is the creator. He is the sustainer, and we get to see this. And I think we don't see, we don't comprehend how big. Jesus is at times, and I want us to comprehend that this morning. He is infinitely big, of course, but I want us just to kind of grasp that a bit more. And if we do that, then we will worship Jesus for who he is. If we only worship Jesus thinking, oh, he came to earth, he was, a, he was, he was God's man and died for our sins, then that's important. But if we forget that actually he was in eternity past, he will be in eternity future, and this whole world that we live in is governed by him. And I want us to get that big picture this morning. And so the main word, as I said, is preeminent uh, in this text. If you read up the dictionary, the dictionary says uh, it means to be more important or more powerful than all others. If you take the original Greek, the original Greek is proteu, and it means to be first in rank. So that's what that word preeminent means. And so as we read this together, I pray we will worship Christ as he is preeminent. Let me just remind you of the text, uh, Colossians 1, 15 to 18. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and, and, and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And so when we think about these things, Christ is preeminent in all things. He is first in rank. He is supreme in everything in our lives and in this world. And that is the big picture I want us to get this morning. And I hope that this text will help us to understand that. And so I have four main points today, and we're not going to be here till tonight, so please don't worry. But I have four main points I want us to, to really pick at this morning. And the first one is the one that comes in in verse 15, that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He is the visible image of the invisible God. And so we think about this when we read our Bibles, we see throughout the Old Testament uh, how, how God dealt with his people, how he manifested himself in different ways, whether he had the pillar, the pillar cloud or the burning bush um, or even sending his own messengers uh, or Christophanies in the Old Testament. God was revealed to a certain extent. But you see, he wasn't fully revealed in the Old Testament. We can understand God's characteristics. When we read the Old Testament, we can clearly understand uh, what God thinks of sin and, and how he expects his people um, to act and to worship him. But we can only understand it at a certain level because he hasn't manifested himself fully in the Old Testament. We see the ways in which he deals with Israel but as we see with the temple, there is a veil, so to speak, in the Old Testament. It's all shadows and types and things like that. And so it's not until we get to the New Testament, it's not until we see Christ come into the world that we as human beings can fully relate to God because God became man. And so it's just like us, we human beings, we relate to one another Okay, some of us might have pets, might have dogs or cats, whatever, and I'm sure we relate to them to a certain extent, but you don't have that same level because humans relate to humans, animals relate to animals, and so on. And so with God, 
It wasn't until he came in the flesh as a human being that we could fully relate and fully understand what God was saying, what God, uh, what God's message was to his people. And so Christ is the full manifestation of God in the flesh. And the sad part was is that the Jews re- rejected him. The Jews rejected him as a Messiah. And they're still waiting for uh, another Messiah to appear. And that's the sad part is that they missed Christ. And so how do we think about that? How do we apply that to our lives, knowing that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God? Well, we have the full revelation of God's word. We have both Old and New Testaments. And when we read about Christ, we can fully relate to God from a human aspect, as I was saying. And this is because God had become man. Let me read 1 Timothy 6, verses 15 and 16. You don't need to turn there. Read it out. 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16. It says, Which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, and this is the key bit, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honour and eternal dominion. Amen. God is invisible. God lives in the heavens. He lives in the unapproachable light. He lives in a realm that we cannot see or touch at this moment in time. But when we see Jesus, when we read about Jesus, God makes it clear. Because God says, okay, you can't reach me. You can't come into the spiritual realm and the heavens where I am. So I'm going to come to you so you can relate to me. And so I can have a personal relationship with you. And people will say, I wonder what God is like. You know, there's a lot of people in the world who just go, I wonder what God is like. And the key thing is, is they just need to look at Jesus. Because Jesus is God. Jesus is God in the flesh. And so when people say, I wonder what God is like, they're not comprehending the deity of Christ, that Christ is God. And so this is, again, we minimize uh, who Jesus is if we don't understand that he is God and God is him. And so we see these things. And so when we see Jesus rebuking someone or we see him weeping over Jerusalem, we see the heart of God. We see the heart of God in those things. And so when Jesus uh, rebukes people and tells them, you know, that is sin, that's God saying, this is sin, or don't do this, or he has the heart of weeping over Jerusalem. He has these things, and that's what we need to look at. And so we see these things. And so in Christ, we're able to know that God is Christ and understand that the deity of Christ is key if we are to worship him for who he is. And so that is the first point I wanted to make this morning, is that he is the visible image of the invisible God. And so that's the first, that's the first part in this, in this text that we see. And so make sure we remember that he is God. And I'm sure everyone in here this morning knows that Christ is God. And if you don't, please speak to somebody in the church and they will show you who Christ is. But that is absolutely key. That is the first thing that we see. And so remember that Paul is showing that Christ is God. So to the people in Colossae who were saying that Christ, eh, okay, he was, a, he was a moral teacher, he was a man, he seemed like a godly man, but he isn't God. Paul's completely refuting that right there and saying, no, he is the visible image of the invisible God. He is the God who dwells in that unapproachable light and he came to earth so that we could have a relationship with him. That is Christ. 
Second point I want to make this morning is this, is that Christ is preeminent in creation. And this is a big one, verses 15 to 17, the end of verse 15, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and, and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Paul's not talking about the Father. He's not talking about the Spirit. He's talking about Christ here. And this is what we need to keep an eye on. And so Paul clearly states that Christ was before creation, before any of us existed, before this universe existed, that he is eternal and that everything in this universe was made by him and for him. And for him is a very key part. And not only is he the creator, but he is the sustainer of the universe. And that without Christ, the universe wouldn't exist. And again, people go, I wonder what the God of creation would look like. We completely forget sometimes that Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the creator. And I think we forget that sometimes. You know, I know we, we tend to use the word God as Father, uh, God for the word Father and, and Jesus as Jesus Christ and things like that. But when, when that happens and we say, oh, God created the world, we actually forget just because we use it so often. Actually, no, it's Christ that created the world. And let me just, let me just clear, clarify that. The Father is the source of creation. He is the architect, so to speak. But Christ is the one the instrument who brought it about. And that's what Paul is making absolutely clear here. Paul, uh, sorry, Jesus is the one that created the world under the direction and the plan of the Father. And that's what he's making clear here. And so I want us to worship Christ knowing that everything that we see around us uh, in the United States and the rest of the world in space, all these things were created by Christ. And so all worship goes to him. And that just starts to big up the picture of Christ didn't just come to earth, but actually he created everything in this universe. And that, I'm hoping that just opens up our minds to worship him and, and, and appreciate him and love him more for who he truly is. And I hope that you know, encourages us this morning. And I want to look at this, ver this verse here in verse 15, just the end of it, just to kind of make sure we know what, what's going on here. It says, Christ is the firstborn of all creation. And so what does that mean, that term firstborn of all creation? Well, what it doesn't mean is that Christ was a created being. That is not what that verse means when it says he is the firstborn of all creation. If we say, if we believe that Christ was created by God, then we are denying the deity of Christ. And that is a heresy that is contrary to scripture. So we need to be very careful with that. But when Paul uses this phrase, he's using it with an Old Testament background in mind. Remember, Paul is writing to the first century church. He, so the readers who are reading this would understand straight away when he says Christ is the firstborn of creation, they would know straight away what Paul is talking about. But of course, we live in the 21st century now, and so this is why context is key, as the phrase goes. We need to understand exactly how it was written and who it was written to. And so we need to read it this. And so, of course, the firstborn son in the Old Testament was a principal heir to the family's estate. The estate was handed down from the father to the firstborn son. So we keep that in mind. 
But also the phrase firstborn is used metaphorically in Psalm 89 verse 27. And it's used to describe the preeminence of King David and his dynasty among the nations, among, uh, as a king of all the nations. And it just says in that verse, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So that's in Psalm 89, talking about King David's dynasty. And, his, and his, obviously that was fulfilled in Christ further down the line. But the word firstborn doesn't mean that he was first, like literally first. Because Saul was the first king. Saul was the first king in the, in the Old Testament for Israel. But also what it actually means is that David's kingdom would be the most honored. It would be the best. And it would be eternal. And so that is what that that word firstborn means. And so this promise was kept and fulfilled in Christ as we know. And so with that background in mind, knowing that the firstborn son received an inheritance, received the estate, and knowing that the word firstborn doesn't literally mean uh, to be created first or anything like that, but it actually means, as we, as we looked at before, it says here, with the background in mind, the firstborn of all creation in relation to Christ is, ascri- is ascribing his supremacy. Talking about David's line in, in Psalm 89 there, talked about how his kingship and his dynasty would go on and on and on and be the most honored. And so what Paul is saying here to Colossae, that Christ is the firstborn of all creation, he is just saying Christ is to be the most honored. He is to be the most glorified and all praise is to go to him. It means that Jesus Christ will inherit all creation for himself. And that when we go to be with him on that wonderful day when he returns or when we get called home, We are get to be with Christ and Christ will inherit the new heavens, the new earth, and we will be his people and he will be our God. And that is what the firstborn of creation is talking about there. And so we see that. And so we see the second point I want to make here just in this little part is also remembering that Christ is creator. And I know I've talked about this just a little bit here, but Paul's making a great point in this part. Remember that There's a worshipping of angels going on. Remember I mentioned that very first thing, just to give you the context, that people in Colossae were worshipping angels. And of course, Paul wanted to correct that. And Paul is basically saying here, as part of this Christ is creator part, he's saying, don't worship the angels. Worship the one who created the angels because they worship Christ. And so you don't worship the angels, but you worship Christ. And we see that in in other parts of scripture where the angels tell them, don't worship us, worship God. He is the one who created us. And so this is what Paul is talking about to these Colossians in the first century. And so how do we think about that today? How do we think about that? Well, there's there's a few applications here as well. Is that when we look at creation, our first instinct is to praise God. So where I'm from, my home country, Scotland, we have the wonderful highlands up north. And when I drive through there, and when I walk through there, my initial response has to be, thank you, God. Because we see the beauty of nature, we see the beauty of the hills and the mountains and and everything like that. And our response should be, Christ created them so that I could glorify him. So when I look at them and I see how beautiful and how wonderful they are, that should turn me to, to praise God and say, God, thank you for this. Thank you that I can enjoy this. And so that should, be our, uh, that should be our attitude as well when we see 
wonderful bits of nature. And it's, and it's funny how the, the outside world, those who do not know Christ, you know, they, they say that Mother Nature is beautiful, that it's wonderful. Well, the thing is, there's a reason why nature is beautiful. And it's because Christ created it beautiful so that we could see him in nature, him in the beauty of this world. Yes, this world has been ravaged by sin, but there is still wonder and beauty in many parts of the world. And when we see that, that should, we should be reflecting that. It's reflecting the glory of Christ, and we reflect back in praise to him. And so I pray that you would do these things. Also remember that the creation includes us. We were created by Christ for him as well. Just like the mountains and the hills were created for Christ and to glorify Christ. Remember, we are created for Christ and to glorify Christ. And remember, we are the pinnacle of God's creation. When he made the universe and made the world, we were the, we, we were the main point. We were the focus there. We have a whole second chapter explaining how man came in Genesis 2 and how we were created And we were made in the image of God. And so because we are doing that, we must realize that actually our ultimate goal is to worship Christ and to worship God. Why? Because he created us to do that. And that is when we see how sinful humanity is in today's world. The majority, the whole world, every single person in this world was created to glorify God and to glorify Christ. The thing is, the majority of the world's population don't do what they were created to do. And that just shows how great sin has got into uh, today's society and into the hearts of the world. And so that should actually give us an opportunity. That should give us a, what's the word I'm looking for? A motive to evangelize because we can see people out there in the world who aren't doing what they were created to do. And that their best life would be if they followed Christ and glorified Christ because that is what they were created to do by the creator. And so that should give us a motive to tell people about Christ, to proclaim Christ and tell people that he can save them from their sins and that they can live the life that they were created to live. And so that should help us to evangelize as well. And just a little side note to finish on this Christ as creator part. Remember this part here, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Every nation and every leader in charge of any nation in this world has been put there by Christ for a reason. So we might disagree with who's in charge of of whatever. I know for you guys, uh, watching back home from from the UK, watching the American politics and stuff, it's quite crazy at times, and I'm sure you see stuff in the UK as well. But what you need to realize is that if you disagree or or whatever, Christ has put them there for a reason. God is all-knowing. You are not all-knowing. Christ is all-knowing. And so when he puts somebody in charge, you say, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to submit to those authorities because you have commanded it. And that's the attitude we need to have. And, and you know what? Yeah, I'm the same. Like, yeah, you'll disagree with maybe what's happening. Or you wonder why. You just sit there and go, God, why, why is this happening? But nothing takes God by surprise. This is his world. He created it. He is everywhere. He knows what's going on. And we just are asked to trust him. All right? He has saved us for a glorious purpose. And if he's saved us for that much, we should really trust him with the affairs of the world. Uh, just even uh, if it looks desperate at times.
Okay, so I, d- I just pray that would be an encouragement to you guys this morning as well. Um, because it's the same back home where I'm from. There are political climates all over the place at the moment. Uh, the UK is leaving uh, Europe and all these kind of things. And it's, you just wonder what's going on. And I just go, God, you are in charge. I trust you. You see, you do it as you see fit because Christ is sovereign every single day regardless what happens. And so the third point I want to make here is we move off from the creator. So remember, Christ uh, is a visible image of the invisible God. Christ is the creator, so make sure we worship him as the creator as well. He is our savior and he is our Lord, but he is also creator. And the third point I want to make is that he is preeminent in the church. Christ is the head of the body. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. The church was God's idea. The church was not man's idea. God created the church. And when we see, especially in the New Testament, when God shows us how to set up the structures of worship and how a church should be uh, structured, he gave us that for a reason. God in his infinite wisdom and mercy and grace showed us how church should be done for a certain reason. Why? Because he knows the best way he wants to get glory. And so we must, we must abide by that and say, okay, God, how should a church be run? How should a church be structured? Okay, I'm going to trust you because that's what's going to give you most glory. That's when it's going to give you most honor. And we see the church, how it's universal and how it's local. The church resembles Israel of the Old Testament to the extent that it's God's people gathered together. But it's different from Israel in the Old Testament because it's not restricted by geographical boundaries. And also, it's not just Jews who get to be part of the church, Gentiles as well. And I'm sure the majority of us would count as the Gentiles today. And we thank God that he did. And also, I want us to see is that Christ has authority over the church. God saw it fit that he would set his son over the church. And that means Christ has the final authority. And remember, Paul is mentioning this because of the extra spiritual people. There were people in Colossae who said they were the authority, who said, no, I am very spiritual. I know what's best. You submit to my authority. You do as I tell you. And Paul's saying, no, that's not how it works. Christ is the final authority. So you listen to him. You listen to his words. And you listen to the apostles who laid the foundation of the church and go from there. And so Paul's kind of battling this in Colossae. And so we see that there. So let me just continue on here. We see this sort of thing today as well. We see people who think they're super spiritual or people who know better. And it's actually no Christ is the, the one who should have authority. I don't know what it's, what it's like over here. Uh, but back in the UK, the, the Roman Catholic Church is a, is a big, big denomination uh, back in the UK. And I know you guys have it here as well. But I'm not, as I said, I don't know exactly the full situation. But just to give it as an example, they see the Pope as the head of the church, who is then under Christ. So they still believe that Christ is the head of the church, who is then under Christ. But the thing is, they see the Pope as an extra spiritual person of some sort. They, see, they, they elevate him further than any other human being. And that was actually what was happening in Colossae as well. There was people being elevated to some super spiritual sort of uh, place where they shouldn't be. And so this is a false teaching. The apostles laid the foundation of the church. God stated in his word that a church should be made up of elders and deacons and the rest of the people together. And God put it that way for a reason. Because he said, that's going to give me the most glory. That's going to give me the most honor. And so we need to submit to that. 
and know that that is how churches run, not using our own ideas, but focusing on what biblical church is. And we see also just in terms of just keeping with that thing uh, with, the, with the Catholic Church, with confession, people saying, oh, somebody can, can forgive you on behalf of God. Well, no, Christ is the one that can forgive you on behalf of God and Christ alone, no one else. All right, so we need to be careful of that. And so people can, you know, as, as a church, we should be accountable and we should be able to, to point out sin and, 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 and lovingly encourage one another. But you don't then go up to somebody and say, oh, uh, can you forgive me? No, you, you go to prayer and you go to God and you say, God, forgive me. And if you have trusted in Christ, then the blood of Christ is what forgives you. All right, so let's just keep that key as well, that Christ is the only one who has the authority in the church and he is the only one who has the authority to forgive sin. And so we need to remember that. And so we think about these things here. If we are truly Christians, if all of us in here this morning are truly Christians, and Jesus isn't just our Savior, but he is our Lord as well. Savior and Lord are two different aspects of Christ. He is our Savior because he died for us and was resurrected. But he is our Lord because we come under his authority. We come under his uh, administration, so to speak. And so we need to submit ourselves to that authority. And so because Christ isn't here right now, What authority do we have? Well, we have the word of God. God left the word as the final authority. So whether in this church, and I said, this is my first time here, and I said, I don't know how you guys, um, you know, I know I've heard you guys are a really good church and a biblical church, and I'm thankful for that. But just remember that the Bible, God's word, is the final authority on any matter, all right? It doesn't matter who says what. It doesn't matter if your elders or your deacons say anything. If they are doing something contrary to the word of God, then that needs to be addressed because Christ has the final authority and he is not physically here right now, so he has given us the authority through his word. And that's what we need to be careful of. Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And again, I've seen this I've seen this in the UK, and I know it's I know liberalism's a big thing in America as well. But there's so many churches. Scotland, rich heritage of really biblical churches over the last two, three, four, five hundred years. But in today, today's Scotland is very different from the Scotland back five, four, five hundred years ago. And that is because people have not respected the word of God as authoritative as what it should be. And we see people swaying from the word, bringing in their own ideas, thinking they know what's better than what God says. And what that has happened, what that has caused in my home country is churches to close because the gospel is not being preached. People are bringing in their own ideas, just like in Colossae back in the first century, people were bringing their own ideas. They thought they knew better. And that's what Paul was trying to combat because he knew it was dangerous and unfortunately, in my home, my home country, and I know that there are liberal churches here in the U.S. as well who have strayed from the word, it is very dangerous. In my hometown, I lived in a town just outside of Glasgow, and in my hometown, you could, you could get eight or nine churches within less than a mile of each other. And maybe a hundred years ago, every single one of them was packed because that's why they built them all, because the churches were overflowing. Now you're lucky if two of them are are open. 
Uh, and we have a, a massive church, uh, a massive building, sorry, uh, back home, uh, Paisley Abbey, it's called. This church holds about 1,000 people, if that, if not more. It's a lovely structure. I think it was built in the 1100s or something like that, way back when. But do you know how many people attend that church because of the liberal teaching that has been allowed to go? You're lucky if there's 50 people that go there. And that's, that's, that's the state. That's why I want to encourage you this morning is that the Bible is the key. Christ has the authority and no one else. And I, I just pray that this church, that you guys would continue to keep to that as a church and that your leadership would, because if you stray away from that, you go into dangerous territory. And I'm only telling you what God says. I'm the messenger. All right. And so we see that. And so knowing that Christ is the head of the church, the great thing is, is that Christ is a perfect head. He is just. He is righteous. He is perfect. He is sinless. And so who else is better to head up the church than God himself, the perfect man who became, the perfect God who became man. And so why would we want anyone else in charge of the church when we have a perfect, sinless person in the church known as Christ. And so that's what we need to keep in mind. And the final point I want to make this morning, as we have seen here, is that Christ is preeminent in the resurrection. Christ, he is the beginning. Verse 18, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. There's that firstborn again. Christ was the first person to be resurrected from the dead. Christ's resurrection inaugurated the start of the new creation for us. He created a new people for himself through those who put their faith in him. And we see that. We see that in 1 Corinthians 15, that we have a new body, a glorified body that will await us in the last day. And that, that's just the start. We have a new heavens and a new earth. We see that in Revelation 21 that, look, that we look forward to on that day. And so when Christ was resurrected, he was the first one to be resurrected. And we also will be resurrected in the same pattern when that day comes, when, when Christ returns and history is complete. And so this is quite interesting as well, is that even though Christ already had glory with the Father before creation, his resurrection marks him out for a newer and higher standing and authority. It gives him an even greater name. He is the incarnate, perfectly obedient Messiah. Before Christ came to earth, he was God and he had all the glory he would ever need. He was not lacking in anything. But when he came to earth, perfectly obeyed the Father up to death and then was resurrected, that just added more glory and honor on top of what all he already had. Because he came to earth, he was obedient and he was raised from the dead. And so we give him a new title. He was the obedient Messiah. He was the sinless man. It just gives him more glory on top of what he already had. And that's the great thing. And so this is why I want you to see how glorious Jesus is. That he just There's unlimited glory that we could give him. And we just need to live knowing that he is worth that. And so Christ's resurrection from the dead also demonstrated his creatorship. Remember we talked about him being creator. When Christ was resurrected from the dead, that was him saying, eh, I'm the creator, I created this world, death cannot hold me. So death came into the world through sin, absolutely. It wasn't part of the original plan, but it came in through sin. But what Christ is saying that, well, if death is part of creation now because of sin, and I am the creator, then death can't hold me because it's part of the creation and I created it. 
And so that was him showing that he was God. And, and Paul's getting this across to the Colossians again, just reinforcing the fact that Jesus is truly God because he conquered death. And I want us to really just rejoice in that this morning. And so we think about that. And so how do we apply that to our lives? How do we think about Christ's preeminence in the resurrection? How, how can we think about that? Well, the promise of future resurrection should cause us to worship Jesus because of what he's accomplished, of course. But the thing is, if we truly believe the truth of the resurrection of the saints, then that should change the way we live dramatically. When we think about it, if we truly believe that we are going to be resurrected on that last day, then that will change abundantly how we live right now. Because we know this is not the only life we have. But there is a future eternal life to come. And the way I always like to explain it is you're lucky if you get 80, 90 years on this earth, 100 if you're really lucky. But what's that going to be compared to the millions and billions of eternal years in the new creation? And we're going to look back on this life and it's just going to be a little speck. We need to think about that. And we need to have that eternal perspective. And so I'm asking you this morning, do you live as if this is the only life you have? Or do you live in the knowledge and security knowing that Christ has redeemed you and promised you a new body and a new heavens and a new earth. If you believe that truth, that should make you bolder to live your faith uh, each day without a fear of persecution. And I pray that that would mean that we don't hide our faith from people, that we would not be embarrassed by our faith, that we would step out in boldness and say, Christ is my Lord. He is the one I live for. And this world is not the only world that I'm going to live in. This is not the only life I am going to have. And so what we need to think about is that, okay, if people might persecute us to an extent, and I use the word persecute lightly because I know Christians, even in the Western world, use the word persecution in ways that it shouldn't just not be known. Oh, somebody called me a name, they're persecuting me. No. You look at the Christians in Egypt getting beheaded for their faith. That's persecution. All right. That's persecution. But what I want you to know is we might get uncomfortable talking about our faith or people might look at us weirdly because we have faith in Christ. But that should not put you off because you should know that this is not the only life you have. This is not the only life you have. And so I just ask yourself this morning, do you truly believe that you will be resurrected on the last day? Do you truly believe that? Or... Or do you, do you doubt that? Do you doubt that? Because it's, it's, it's a faith element and death is going to have, um, death is, is the unknown. We don't know what, hap- you know, we know what happens after death. God tells us what happens after death. But at the same time, we're allowed to be feared a bit because it's unknown. We don't, you know, it's, we're, it's the end of this life. But it should not cause us to fear to the extent that we don't want to, that, you know, we're, we're living for this world. We don't want to die. This world's all I've got. Because that's what the rest of the world believes. They believe this is the only world there is. And so people try to get as much as they can in this world rather than thinking about the eternal perspective. So I just pray that we would live out our lives in boldness as we think about the eternality of our lives, that we have the spirit in us, that we have souls, souls that were designed to be eternal, and they will go one of two places, heaven or hell, new heavens and new earth, or eternal judgment. There's only two places they're going to go. And it's only faith in Christ that's going to get you into God's kingdom. And so just just to conclude this morning, 
let me just remind you of what we talked about. Again, I wanted to just, I know there was a lot of information, and I just wanted to try and broaden what Christ, who Christ is in this text. He is the visible image of the invisible God. He is the creator. He is preeminent in creation. He is preeminent in the church. He has final authority in the church. And he is preeminent in the resurrection. He was the first one to be resurrected. And he has guaranteed that resurrection for us as well. And so as we leave this place, maybe not just think about Christ as the one who came and died. That's important, of course. But maybe remember that he is the head of the church. That he created this world. That when we look at Christ, we see God himself. And that may we know that we will be resurrected, that we have an eternal life ahead of us after this life. And I just pray we would go out rejoicing Christ this morning, knowing that he has accomplished all these things, that he is greater than our wildest dreams. And I just pray that this would give us a bigger picture. And may we all leave this place knowing, as Paul says in verse 18, that in everything he might be preeminent. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we just praise you for this time in your word. We thank you that your word is full of authority. It is the authority, Lord, in which we should live our lives by. It is the authority in which our church, the the universal church and the church here, Veritas Church, Lord, that we should live our lives by. There is no authority greater than Christ himself. Thank you, Lord, that you created this world, that you created us in your image. And Lord, may you help us by your spirit to live a life that is pleasing to you, a life that worships you and glorifies you. And Father, I just pray that we would live knowing that there is a resurrection to come. Thank you, Lord, that you have spiritually resurrected us. You have taken us out of sin out of the kingdom of darkness and into light. But Lord, we know that this will not be fully fulfilled until you return, in which we will have our new bodies, our new heaven and the new earth. May we live knowing that that is a truth, that that is a reality. May our faith be strengthened. May we go out evangelizing and and in boldness, knowing that this world is not all there is. May we be willing to get outside our comfort zones and to live for you and to live for your glory. Father, I just pray at this time, you would bless the remainder of our service, bless the remainder of our time praising you, and may we go out of this place rejoicing, knowing that you are preeminent in all things. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.